0: Turn with me, if you will, to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. This book is a letter written to believers who were uprooted from their homes and having to move hundreds of miles away and start over again, reestablish households, businesses, congregations, up in the area now known as northern Turkey. And so this letter is written to encourage people in the midst of suffering. We call this Encouraging Truth, stormy times. And so like Paul does in a few of his letters, he begins he begins with expressing all the wonderful things we have in Christ. And some amazing truths. And we're going to pivot today uh, by setting the stage for the next part of the book, which are things we're called to do. Who knows that we are before we do? Right? Before a baby can eat, the baby must be born. Um, Before we work, we must be employed. And so Peter conveys wonderfully in the midst of kind of giving hints here and there of things that we'll be involved in as we serve the Lord in the midst of tough times by telling us we have joy unspeakable and full of glory even though the circumstances of life may not convey such. And so today's text, we're going to look at 10 verses and hopefully speak it in light of these verses. Uh, He says, therefore, uh, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to see what it's there for. He'd been talking to them about the things we have in Christ and our being born again by God's incorruptible word. Therefore, having been born again, laying aside all, can we say all, malice, all deceit, Hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. It would not abuse the word to understand he means all of it. All of it in its plurality and all forms. So all forms of maliciousness or all malices, all deceits, all hypocrisies, all envies, and all evil speaking. Tell somebody, all of it. So laying aside that junk. As newborn babes, we can't do the following unless we've done the first. So doing verse 1, we now do verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word. So just like babies cry for mama's milk, so we are to have a craving in our hearts for the pure milk of God's Word. And what will be the result? That you may grow thereby. It's impossible to grow as a Christian without the Word of God being applied in your life. Hearing it, reading it, obeying it, studying it, understanding it, illustrating it, applying it to every area of our life. And we begin to grow. If, verse 3, indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The grace of God is our launching pad. If you do not understand God's unconditional love for you, then you're going to get into what we call legalism. That is... You're just going to focus on the do's and don'ts of God's Word and beat one another over the head with it. But no, it's because of God's grace and His unconditional love for us that we are brought into His family. And as a result of being in His family, then He's got a will for us to pursue. Do you see that? Coming to Him, to Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men... But chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, just like Jesus, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up, can we say up, spiritual sacrifices. Now we understand that the Old Testament sacrifices were a blood atonement system where the blood of an innocent animal was shed to pay the penalty for someone's sins. But because of the cross, that no longer is necessary. So the sacrifices we offer up are sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise. We just did it here for a little while this morning because He's worthy. Sacrificing our will for, for the will of heaven to be done on earth. Somebody's got to be willing to lay aside their will so that God's will can reign supreme. I can't do my will, my selfish will, and the unselfish will of God at the same time. He's going to call us to do something that may be contrary to what we don't like. Well, I don't like to do that. Well, if God likes it, then we've got a problem, right? And so the Christian walk is learning what he likes, laying down what we like. You know, we like to punch people in the nose that have it coming. But the Lord likes for us to extend mercy to people that don't deserve it, to express So, we're being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, and he reads from Isaiah, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. That's the Lord's Native American name. Chief cornerstone. (laughs) Elect, that is chosen. Precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame, won't be disappointed. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation. Tell somebody you're chosen. A royal priesthood. The word says that we are kings and priests. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The old King James says that we're peculiar people. So I grew up in churches that were proud of being weird. Tell your neighbor you're peculiar. Hallelujah. Amen. But it means unique, special, one of a kind, nothing else like it. That's who we are. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God before Christ elected us or chose us or opened our eyes to His choosing, we we wouldn't probably even be friends, most of us. Because we're all as different as can be. And yet in Christ, we're brought together. Even those churches that focus on a particular demographic, like cowboys or, or um, bikers, they're made up of people that are It's different from one another. They have one thing in common, you know. They want to be a cowboy or they are a cowboy. They want to be a biker or they are a biker. But beyond that, man, they are as different as can be. Why? That's what God does. He takes people from diverse backgrounds and makes a people out of them. Outside the kingdom of God, it will not work. That's why Christianity is not cookie cutter. We're all as different as can be called to reflect different facets we come to Christ like we're coming to a like we are stones being brought to to a construction site and being put in proper places in relation to the cornerstone you establish square first if you want to build a building that will stand and looks right you establish that first corner and then you build from that if you're building with with stone And it's even important in all building materials. Well, Christ is the pattern. He is the cornerstone, the chief one, and we are laid in place in alignment with him. So just as he was chosen to be the chief corner, we are chosen to be living stones, being built together in a spiritual house. Uh, Lori Zeger is um, a staff member here who recently got an understanding, or an understanding she already had has come alive to her and the part of our functioning as members of the Lord's house.
1: Good morning. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I was out on my morning walk. And as I was just walking, minding my own business, not really thinking about anything, the Lord uh, prompted, put a prompting in my heart to go and serve in uh, preschool, the preschool class here, the next Sunday. And I said... Well, good idea, but no. <laughs> you know, I'm really not called to do that, but thanks for thinking of me. And um so I continued to walk and all of a sudden I thought, you know, I've been a Christian about forty years and I've been my desire of my heart is to be obedient and hear the Lord and to take walk in step with the Lord. And I thought okay, this is familiar, this voice is familiar, I've heard, I've known this prompting is from the Lord, and so all of a sudden the scripture came to me that I memorized when I was 19 years old at this little tiny church in California that the pastor had everybody memorized, and I really don't remember understanding what it was at that time, but it's in Ephesians where Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus, and he says, we are all citizenships and members of this household. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone here. And we are all members. And the cornerstone is the stone, just like what Pastor Allen was saying, the cornerstone is the stone that everything else is built around. It's the first stone everybody else has built around it. And as I was walking, I was thinking, Huh, are you telling me that I'm a member of this body and you're calling me to work in the preschool room, and he's speaking to me about this, that I'm supposed to be helping in the preschool because Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And we are citizens of this community, citizens and members of this body. And so I thought, okay, well, that's good. I might think about that. And as I continued to walk, I thought, well, I'm going to dissect this. Why do I not, why do I hesitate? And not want to work in the preschool or with children. And I thought, well, I'm scared. What happens if they say no? What happens if they say why? What's my answer going to be? Because I don't feel equipped to work. And just that very Sunday, Friday morning when I was praying and having my devotion, I came across uh, the scripture in Joshua where God is saying, be strong and courageous. And then he says it again be strong and very courageous. And then he says, didn't I command you, be strong and courageous? And I said, okay, okay, I can be strong and courageous, and I can go in there and volunteer and work with these children. And then I thought, you know, I'm really not called to do it, and it's work. I'd rather command, and this is me personally I'm speaking about, I, would, I like coming in, sitting here and worshiping and receiving. And I said, God, that's work. I'm going to have to make an effort with these children. I'm gonna, what happens if the, the time doesn't pass? What am I going to do, you know, to try to entertain the kids and play or, you know, teach them? And all of a sudden, I saw a picture of me up in heaven where the seraphims are worshiping the Lord. And they have the six wings, and two are covering their eyes, and two are covering their feet, and they're flying with the other two. And they're circling the throne of God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I thought, you know what? It's so okay that I don't sit here every single Sunday, but I serve. Because this is my ultimate goal is to be worshiping the Lord and to be serving. And so I just want to encourage anybody who feels like maybe a little inkling or calling to do it. To, uh, you know, do what you think the Lord has called you to do. And there's something that I was thinking about that for me, inactivity kind of makes doubt and fear, but activity breeds confidence and courage. And so I want to Anybody out there who wants to do that, you know, ask God to give you the gumption and enthusiasm to go serve the Lord.
0: Thank you. So if you've been attending here for six months and have been through our two-hour membership class and you're faithful to your spouse and you're married to a person of the opposite sex or celibate if otherwise, and you're not robbing and stealing people. You're desiring to have all that the Lord has for you. And you're willing to go through a background check. Well, that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> you can serve here in children and youth ministry. So uh, talk to us more about that. We are a spiritual house being built up to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And so it is a sacrifice to come and teach children. It's serving. It's a sacrifice to serve your brothers and sisters. And uh, here, because we've got two services, you can still sit and receive the Word in the early service and then serve in the second service. It's not like we're here all day. It's, 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 you can do it. You can do it! It's, it's easy. We even have some people that come for the Word in the second service. They come walking in about 9.30, and then they're here for the worship in the second service, and then they go and teach in the uh, children's area. So, all means, consider that. All right, back to the sermon. We're going to speak to you today on the subject, we have been chosen. Can we say chosen? chosen. To believe and obey. Can we say believe? believe. And we say obedience? obedience. You've been chosen first. You've been chosen to believe and you've been chosen to obey. That's the sermon. All right, let's go home. We have been chosen. It's already done. It's completed action in past time. Before the foundation of the world, Christ was chosen to be the Lamb slain for our sins. And we were chosen in Him. Before you were a twinkle in your mama's eye, God chose you. In this letter, He addresses it to the pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's some like states or big counties in northern Turkey. To those people, and he calls them elect. Can we say elect? According to the foreknowledge of God. Now, this is not like a political election where you have a term you're elected to and then you're done, or you have to be re elected, or you can get um, what do they call it when we want to kick somebody out that's been impeached? No, this is God's election where he's chosen you to serve him. Well, I thought that I found the Lord. Yes, you did, but He enabled you to find Him. You ever play hide-and-seek with a little kid? You could hide all day long, and that child will never find you. You have, to, you have to leave little clues to help them find you. That's the Lord. He left us breadcrumbs. He left us clues. He sent people to us. He allowed us to bump our nose. He allowed us to reap what we sow, to bring us to a place of surrender and desire for a Savior. He brought us to a place of hearing the gospel. And we just read it in today's text that we are a chosen generation. Well, I'm not a believer yet, so is this sermon for me? Yes, it is. You've been chosen to hear the Gospel today. And by hearing the Gospel, you are able, I believe, to become a believer. Just call on the name of the Lord. Lord, help me. Save me. Jesus said in John 15, you did not choose me But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will remain. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So we've been chosen to bear fruit, and not just bear fruit, but bear fruit that lasts, not fruit that will rot or fruit that will will fizzle out, but God's chosen us to be fruitful for the long haul. Now, why is it important to believe that we've been chosen? Because knowing that someone wants you inspires you. You know, if you're playing back, back in the day, remember in the back in the day, I'm showing my age here, when neighborhood kids would gather together and choose up teams on the playground or on the street or in the backyard or whoever did that as a kid. Man, if you were one of the first ones chosen, was that inspiring or what? Now, if you were the last ones, okay, we'll take Lada and you get the girl. Um, the guy's got that. Um, it was not as, as uh, encouraging. When, when God elects us, it is a joyous thing, it's a wonderful thing. You know, in November, we're going to have an election. And there's going to be a whole lot of unhappy people based on the results of that election. Just like England. They had a referendum. A whole lot of unhappy folks right now. Scared folks. Was it a mistake? Was it not? Time will show. You know, should the Lord tarry, I'm sure they'll survive that. But in God's election, nothing but joy. <laughs> he chose you. In uh, Ephesians 1, He says that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one that He loves. So He has chosen us for His purpose. It's His pleasure to choose us. If He didn't give us some help, none of us would be believers. None of us would be saved. Well, I found the Lord. I beg to differ. The Lord found you and helped you to find Him. We've been chosen to believe. We read this earlier. He who believes on Him will by no means be put to shame. Becoming a believer deals with the shame factor. In fact, the gospel is the only, the Christianity is the only religion in the world that deals with shame. Other religions just pile it on you. Even in the secular unbelieving world, they don't know how to deal with shame. They'll either uh, convey and try to believe and convince themselves things that are shameful that they are not shameful, or they will just pile on the shame something fierce. Just let a school bus driver Go off course and do something wrong. The whole nation sees it, and everybody's blogging and twittering, heaping shame on that poor guy that just couldn't take it anymore. But in Christ, He took our shame. He took our shame. Now, I'm going to be really politically incorrect today. I'm going to talk about Islam. All right? I worked as a car parker. The joke was, the family joke was, I was a CPA. I was a car parking attendant at the Remington Hotel in Houston, and then I transferred to the mansion on Turtle Creek in Dallas, and then when the Crescent Court Hotel opened in downtown Dallas, I became the head doorman there, and then I got busted down to buck private with them a couple different times. Parking cars. For years, I worked with Palestinian Muslims. Islam has no remedy for shame. You can only earn your way out of your shame. They teach and believe that you have. everyone has an angel on each shoulder. One angel records the good deeds. The other angel records the bad deeds. That's all they do is record everything you do. And on Judgment Day, when you stand before their God, Allah, they believe that if the angel... With the list of good deeds, whichever angel has the longest list, that's the direction you're going to go. So if you got a long list of bad deeds, but the long list of good deeds is longer, you go to heaven. Long list of bad deeds is longer, you go to hell. So you live under shame if your bad deeds out outnumber your good deeds. And so in the age in which we live with technology and Internet, there's temptations everywhere that we are all vulnerable to. And by God's help, we overcome them. They believe they are Allah's slaves and they're worthy of hell if they do something wrong. And so over the course of their lives and with all the temptations in the world, the shame and guilt that they carry is unbelievable. That's why there's so much anger. And so this guy that killed a bunch of folks in Orlando, he was loaded down with shame. Shame. For his behavior and things that he had done that the, that the Quran condemns, how are you going to get out of that? How can you overcome this mountain of shame, this huge list this evil angel has against you with good deeds? Hopelessness and despair sets in. But if you die as a martyr by killing the infidels, as the Quran does instruct, assurance direct to heaven plus the forty virgins. Somebody said 40 Virgils that's the motivation behind this craziness the world is dealing with. You will not hear that on the news it, it, you just won't and it'll just cause up co- all kinds of trouble anyway if they if they speak out on it or whatever I don't know but um, that's the truth. So that guy went in there and killed all a bunch of folks he believed were wicked because he believed he was wicked too. And in so doing, he thought he was going to redeem himself. What a surprise he's going to be in for when he stands before Almighty God. Amen? But by believing in Jesus, there's a remedy to shame. That's why the gospel is so important. That's why loving Islams in our culture is so important. They need to see the love of Jesus in us. In the church. The government cannot show the love of Jesus. The government is an institution or bureaucracy. It's impersonal. The love of Jesus can only be shown by persons. The government's calling, I believe, is justice and protection. The church is called to show the love of Jesus, to do something kind for somebody who's loaded down with shame and guilt beyond imagination. Self loathing is at an all time high in our culture anyway, and super high in that culture. But through the gospel there is freedom. He sets us free from our shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, those who don't believe, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is still the truth anyway, whether they like it or not and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. To us, Jesus is a stone that's a foundation. To the unbelieving world, he's a stumbling stone. It's offensive to believe that God would send his son to die for their sins. After all, I'm not as bad as other people. I'm a good person. No, we are all just as vile and defiled and depraved as any wicked person in the earth. But thank God, because of his mercy, he chose to redeem us and to bring us to a place of submission to his will. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation. Now people have argued for years on the stumbling of the disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. What does that mean? Were they appointed to stumble? Or were they appointed to hear the word? Some things aren't worth worrying about. I believe everybody's appointed to hear the gospel at least once. We need to do our part to be sure they hear it. Well, isn't TV going on around the world? Yes, if you understand English and you've got electricity (laughs) and you have a television then you could say the gospel is going around the world. But there's so much mixture in Christian TV, so much nonsense in TV, people wanting your money, that it's diluted. That's why the church is the answer to the world. You are so important. God has chosen you to live for such a time as this. Don't hide behind your favorite preacher. You've got a duty to do. You've got someone to shine the light of Jesus to that no one else will cross paths with. You're on a mission with God. And when you leave this place, you're entering your mission field. You've been chosen to do this. We've been chosen to believe. Jesus said in John 6, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will not cast out. Why? Because the Father gave us to him. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So the Father gives us to Him, and He doesn't throw us out because He's come to do the will of the Father. The Godhead is involved in this thing. For this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing and should raise it up at the last day. So when the Father gave us to Jesus, we are in His hands like this. I grew up in churches where they thought we were in His hands like this. Oops, Jesus dropped us. Better get in his hand again. Verse 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Can we say life? And I will raise him up at the last day. If you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have assurance of eternal life and meeting him on judgment. He goes on in verse 44 in the same chapter. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So the fact you're here today, may be because you woke up and felt like it, who knows? Maybe because somebody invited you. But regardless of the avenue the Father took, He is drawing you to Jesus. Well, I could have gone to another church. Yes, you could have. And maybe that church also preaches the gospel. And He would have been drawing you to Jesus. He uses us all as avenues like magnets to draw people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And that faith is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. He gives us the ability to, to believe. He I can't believe the gospel. It doesn't make any sense to me. Cry out to the Lord, Lord save me. Give me the ability to believe and he will do a work in your heart where you will know that he is risen. We have been chosen to obey. Chapter 2, we read it earlier. We're elect. This letter is written to the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In sanctification, that is the setting apart of the Spirit for, why? Obedience. Can we say obey, we've been elected for obedience. And sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. What is that? That is God's provision for when we get off course. How many have become a believer, lived a life of obedience, and then got off course? Raise both hands. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that was shed for me as an unbeliever, but His blood still avails for us even as believers. It's His love that brings us back to that place of repentance, turning from our self-will to God's will. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. It's to us. His grace is for us. His grace doesn't just get us started. His grace leads us onward. Paul told the church in Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 10, we are His masterpiece, that is, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in order that we would walk in Him. We're not saved and useless. We're saved and useful. He brings us into His kingdom for His purpose. He works and wills in us to do His good pleasure. He changes our want-tos. He changes our desires. And those new desires that He gives us are what leads us to pursue His will. Colossians 3. I'm sorry, that slide doesn't show it very well. Let me read it to you. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, because we've been elected, here's what we're to do. Put on tender mercies, kindness, Humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So we don't do in order to be. We are before we do, right? Before a baby can eat and cry, the baby must be born. And so we are made His children. We are chosen. And then He calls us to a life of obedience. So we don't obey in order to be chosen. Pick me, pick me, pick me. No, He picks us. And then we follow Him. So it's important to keep our theology correct. It all begins with God. He loved us first. And now we love him back. It comes normal. It come, it's based on revelation and inspiration rather than condemnation. He chose us to believe. It's important to believe that you're chosen. And then to obey. We've been chosen to believe and obey. These words are mine. Being chosen by Almighty God is a blessing, not based on our performance. But rather on his merciful grace. Therefore, he alone is worthy of receiving the glory. He gets it all. Now, this next verse, I want you to listen to it as it's read to you. It's very humbling because none of us came into the kingdom because of our greatness.
1: But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord.
0: Have you ever been embarrassed by the behavior of some Christians? Two things I want to say about that. One is to know that God's not done with them yet. He's still working on them. Maybe you've been embarrassed by me. God's not done with me yet. He's still working on me. That's not an excuse to defend immaturity, lack of wisdom, just being unnecessarily annoying that he's not done. The other thing is God doesn't choose rocket scientists necessarily you're in the kingdom of God not because you're so brilliant or so great or so worthy. He's worthy. And to demonstrate His wisdom, He chooses those the world would say are foolish. So it's a humbling thing, isn't it? To be in the kingdom. Our obedience is not the God is not the cause of God's choosing, but rather the result of His choice. We've been chosen to obey. We've not been chosen to sit on the bench. We've been chosen to get on the field, do His will. Soldiers are mentioned here in 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. It's out of a desire to please the one that chose us. It's an awesome thing. In his choosing us, we have been adopted. Adopted. The security of an adopted child is an amazing thing. You can disown your own natural child, but legally in this country, if you adopt some kid, that kid's yours from now on. You cannot disown that child until the child is born, is grown. It would be a crime to otherwise. After Vet and I were married, we were blessed with our firstborn child who didn't really look like us. Strawberry Blonde. She was born C-section, so we know the child was ours. Now, my mother was blonde when she was little. Yvette's mother was blonde when she was little, but Yvette and I were not. I used to have hair. We were not blonde. So when our child started going to school, she went to L.B. Barton uh, Elementary School in Irving on King Richard. And little kids saw where she lived. They saw us at some point during the school year and they began to mock her and tell her that we she wasn't our child, that she was adopted. And she would come home crying and to comfort her, we would speak the truth to her. No, you are our child. But if you were adopted, it would be because we chose you. Because we wanted you. It was purposeful. It was not accidental. And that took all the fears away. Whether or not her friends believed she was ours or not, no longer mattered because she knew that we wanted her. We've been chosen because the Father wants us. It's not like, okay, I'll take you. Somebody has to have you. No, He wants you, purposefully chose you. Now here's the balancing truth. While our obedience is not the cause of the Lord's choosing, it will lead to His reward. So I obey the Lord, not in order to be chosen, but I obey the Lord because I love Him. And out of His love for us, He reciprocates with reward. Listen to this, Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive reward. The reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. Verse 25. That he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. So disobedience, God deals with it. He's our Father. He will chasten us in this life. And will bring us to a place. He chastens us with His Word. He chastens us with circumstances by allowing us to reap what we sow. We We learn. Because our Father loves us. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens us. And He rewards obedience. I subscribe to World Magazine. It's a magazine a lot like Newsweek and Time. I highly recommend you checking it out. Um, It's written from a Christian perspective. And in, in the back two pages are two columns. I always love to read those. If I don't read everything else, I definitely read these. And this woman is a Canadian named... Andre Sue Peterson. I love the way she talks, the way she puts truths together. She uh, is dealing with Revelation 19 where the writer says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen, that is our wedding garments, is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then she goes on to say the smallest deed done for Christ will be celebrated with astonishment that it had caused much larger concentric ripples in the universe than it seemed during our earthly life. There will be testimonies, life stories of righteous deeds in review, a retrospective with much happy laughter. Dorcas will be there, delighted to see the far surpassing glory of the clothing at that feast when compared to the modest coat she made for believers in the church of Joppa. David will be there to celebrate the victories God gave him when he defended Israel from his enemy, the giant. Joshua will be there. Moses will be there. It will be a glorious time. Jephthah will be there. Esther will be there. Deborah will be there. All these people that have done these great feats will be there. It'll be great. But what about us? Maybe you're not called to be a Bible translator in the far dark regions of Cameroon. But you're called to serve the Lord in this culture, filled with His temptations. She goes on to say, Those whose battles had never been on a field of green will be present and not be least among that company. For they have fought their own demons in private and unheralded by men. By the blood of the Lamb, they have vanquished temptations, finding the promised way of escape. They have taken bad thoughts captive and demolished ungodly arguments. They have cleansed themselves and put the flesh to death, denied themselves and taken up their crosses to follow Jesus. They will be rewarded for mastering their own wills by sacrificing the embers of their lust and selfishness, which they put to death for the cause of Yes, every saint together will be robed in white and give glory to the Lamb. We have been chosen to believe and obey. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I pray that it would bear fruit in our lives and that that fruit would be fruit that remains. Lord, I pray for three kinds of people, especially the one who doesn't know that they're chosen they're not yet a believer. Lord, bring them to a place of saving faith. Bring them to a place of calling out to you and say, "Lord, help my unbelief." And Lord, I pray for that person who who is chosen but they haven't lived in light of it. It's like they've been working for your for your choosing. I pray, Lord, that they would realize they've been chosen. And Lord, I pray for the third kind of person. The person knows they're chosen. They've been enjoying the joy of their salvation. But Lord, they've not been living in obedience. They've used uh, religion or a busy schedule to keep from doing the things You're calling them to do. Bring us to a place of fresh surrender that we might function in the place to which You've called us for the reason that You have chosen us. In Jesus' name. Now, just keep your heads bowed. I just want you to think, is there something God has asked you to do that you have not yet done? What is that? You know, the key to living a Christian life is to do the next thing God tells you to do, and then to do the next thing God tells you to do. Because it's God, His will reigns supreme, uh, we tell Him, no, He doesn't say, okay, how about this? No, he, He doesn't back off. He's calling us to do something that's unique for us. Lord, I pray that right now in these moments of silence that, You would bring to our remembrance what You've called us to do.